Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all. Those of you who might not know me, my name is Jonathan. I am the campus pastor here. Have you ever been to another country and accidentally said something really offensive or just foolish? I, I can say I have done this on, on multiple different occasions. Even within our own country, you can travel you know, to the other side and you're gonna find out that words mean different things as you go. Well, one particularly embarrassing moment was when I was studying. I, I was in Northern Ireland, spent uh, a year there at Bible College. And at the end of the year, there was a, a formal dinner, all right? Sort of a, a grad ceremony kind of thing for those who are graduating. And so I, I was going there, but I realized I didn't actually have any formal clothes with me. Uh, I had left them all at home. I didn't have a suit. So I figured it's just one night. I'm going to go out. I'll just rent myself a suit uh, and that'll be fine. So I go into town, I find a place that'll rent me a suit, and I walk in uh, and uh, talk to the guy. He says, hey, how are you doing? What can I help you with? I said, hey, uh, I've got this formal dinner coming up, uh, but I'm missing a few of the pieces that I need. So all I really need is a nice jacket and some dress pants. And the guy looked at me and he stopped. He was tracking with me, yeah, got a jacket, and then dress pants, and he stopped and he stared at me. And I looked and I thought, what's happening? He said we don't rent those. I said, you don't rent dress pants? What? And he said, no. And I'm looking at him thinking, like, what is going on here? And like, literally, I'm standing in a room with a whole bunch of dress pants. And so I point over and I said, those, do, do you rent those? And he goes, oh, oh, okay, you want dress trousers. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me what I had actually just said. See, in the UK, your pants are your underwear. So I had just walked into this suit shop and said, hey, you know what I really need is a nice jacket and a really nice pair of underwear. Do you have that? Would you rent that to me? Oh. So after I got over my embarrassment, I did end up getting it. But see, part of what was so embarrassing for me is that I had actually lived there for almost a year at that point. I wasn't brand new. I knew a lot of these pitfalls. I had kind of learned to speak the right jargon and language, but suddenly I was now talking in a whole different area. I had never talked about formal dress wear before, and, and dress trousers still seems like an odd phrase to my mouth. And so I, I found that I was mixing things up. I lacked the ability to speak correctly in this area. Well, this morning we are going to be starting a new sermon series, and that's kind of what we're going to be doing. We're going to be learning how to speak in a new area or arena of life, one that maybe most of us haven't really dabbled much in. We're going to be working through this series, which we've called The Language of Lament. Right? We're going to be working through the actual book of Lamentations in our Bible. We're going to look at how do we speak, how do we think through times of pain and trial and suffering and sorrow, and, and how do we actually consider the evil in the world? How do we act when we go through deep sorrow, when things are genuinely bad? See, I'm going to guess for most of us this isn't a topic of conversation we, we, we love dealing with. In fact, usually there's often, often, well, two extremes that we can go towards. The one extreme is to simply say nothing, push it down deep and ignore it, right? Repress, repress, repress and ignore, and hopefully if we leave it there long enough, everything will work out fine. 
It's not actually a very good long-term strategy to do that. Of course, the other extreme that we can end up doing when it comes to this whole area of pain and, and sorrow is to go to the other extreme and talk to everyone and anyone, and we are just constantly spilling out everything to anyone who would listen because we don't actually know how we should talk about these things. We don't know who we should talk to. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is learning this new language, this language of lament. How do we deal, how do we speak about some pretty difficult topics? And so for this season of Lent, we're going to be walking through the book of, of Lamentations. And the book, just like the title implies, is a book of lament. It's a whole bunch of things that have gone really, really wrong. And in fact, it is a crying out to God in pain that we go through. And I think sometimes we're already uncomfortable with that notion. We, we shouldn't go to God with, with major complaints or pain or problems. No, no, no. When we go to God, we, we should be always happy, right? We should always have this smile on and say, God, no, everything is perfect. We're all okay. I can't actually talk to you about what's really genuinely going wrong in my life. And yet the Bible is full of lament to God. Even while the Bible calls us to rejoice, to rejoice in all circumstances, yet the Bible is still full of lament. In fact, we're going to read through this book of Lamentations, this book of lament and sorrow, and we're going to realize that it is not a book without hope. Right? We are called to be hopeful and rejoice while we still weep. And if that sounds like a bit of a contradiction, well, that's kind of what we're going to be walking through for these next few weeks. But if I can just start off by giving you a little bit of a picture of what this looks like. It's the picture of Jesus. If you remember the story of him going to the graveside of his friend Lazarus, right? Many of you will know the story, right? Jesus comes, he waits, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to see his friend again. He knows that, and yet what happens when he gets there? He cries. Jesus is weeping at the tomb of his friend. Why? Because even though Jesus is absolutely perfect in every way, he still, when he looks at the effects of sin, is weeping. In fact, that's what we are going to look at. If that's how Jesus can act, surely we can lament to God about our problems as well. So this is a series that is learning to speak that language, learning to lament, to speak to God rightly about our pains and our problems. And I know some of you are already thinking like, ah, oh, really, we're gonna do this whole thing, that whole book, right? It's five chapters long. That, that seems like a long time to be dealing with this. Well, well, let me give you just a couple reasons, a few reasons why I think we ought to do this, right? Why we ought to actually take some time and, and genuinely walk through this book. First of all, I'm gonna say, because we're going to use this language, we should spend time learning and acquainting ourselves with it because we're going to be using this kind of language in our lives. We are going to go through times of pain and sorrow and suffering and loss. That is part of our life. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so we want to be able to speak to God rightly in those moments. To be able to pray to God when we don't feel like praying. Do we have language for those times? 
See, it's worth actually considering and preparing ourselves for when we go through those things. And lament is how we do that. So we need to learn these things because we are going to go through it. Secondly, because we actually need to use it now. Right? The Bible talks about lament in all kinds of ways. And normally we think about it when, when things go bad, that's when I should lament. And yet the Bible actually brings in a whole other area. That is lament over our sin. It's lament over the sin we still wrestle with and struggle with and goes on in our lives. We actually ought to be lamenting that as well. And so we need to learn this not because we only, we will go through it, not because we should be using it. Thirdly, I'm going to say because we need to show others how to do this as well. Right? Our children need to see how do we handle loss and sorrow in a godly way. Our neighbors need to see how do you handle tragedy. When things go wrong, how does a Christian, a follower of Jesus, deal with these things? See, a couple of years ago, many of you know, I, I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm fine now, all right? But I, I remember sitting in the doctor's office, and the doctor was looking at me, and we, we were chatting about things after surgery, and, and he said, you know what? He said, I have to say, you're, you're probably one of the most even-tempered patients I've ever had, right? Now, that was a beautiful moment to be able to share the gospel, to be able to say, hey, you know what? That's because my hope isn't found in my health or what I have here. It's found in Jesus, and cancer doesn't change that. I, I, I am ashamed to say as your pastor, I missed that opportunity. I, I, I just, I whiffed that one. I stumbled my way through it. But what I learned from that, beyond the fact that I'm not perfect, what I learned from that was actually he paid attention to how I handled it. He was watching to see how I dealt with tragedy, how I dealt with major problems going on in my life. Right? People notice when you go through pain and you're not spitting venom and, and trying to blame everyone and anyone. People notice when you're going through loss and you're not in deep, inconsolable depression. People actually notice that. They notice how you go through sorrow with hope because it's different. In fact, we need to be able to show that when we have a hope that isn't destroyed, even as we lament. So we need to learn how to use this language because we are going to use it, because we should be using it, because we need to show it finally and probably most simply, we need to learn this because it's in our Bibles, <laughs> right? This is how Jesus himself prays. Right, if you remember Jesus on the cross, as he is hanging there, he actually prays a psalm of lament. Psalm 22 goes like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. See, we need to learn how to pray like that. We need to learn how to pray and bring our, our honest sorrows before God and say, here's what's going on. God, it feels like you are a million miles away. It feels like you don't care. God, where are you? And then actually turn and ask God, Lord, would you help me? 
turn and trust him and say, you are the only one who can. See, that's what biblical lament looks like. It is our It is bringing God our honest sorrow, asking and trusting that he is going to help. Right, so that's what lament looks like in the Bible. It's going to God with these things in an honesty of what we are dealing with. And so one of the things I actually wanna invite you to is to actually participate in this together. So on your seats, hopefully you saw, there's a little card there, it's called a lament card, all right? Essentially what we're inviting you to, you don't have to, it's just a tool, but I actually wanna give you an opportunity, put words to your lament, put words to your prayer, to the sorrows, the things that you have been going through. Right? If, if you're courageous enough, if you're brave enough, actually write them down. You don't have to put your name down, you, you can if you want, and then you can actually drop it off. We have a couple boxes, there's one just at the back, there's one at the welcome desk. Actually just drop that off because here's what I'm gonna say, here's my commitment. I actually wanna be praying for you. As your pastor, I genuinely want to be praying for you, so I'm gonna commit myself. I will pray for each and every single one of them. We wanna actually be lifting these things before God and actually lifting them up together. Right, maybe this is a loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, loss of a child. Just a lament that is just burning in your heart. Maybe it's an old wound that you've carried around with you, a bitterness that has just sunk in far too deep. Maybe this is a sin that has been lingering in your life for a long time, and you need rid of it. I wanna encourage you, would you be honest with God? Whether or not you're gonna write that down, it's up to you. But I encourage you to do so Take some time, maybe even throughout this week, and and learn to put words, language into our lament and bring them before God because he is the one who actually can help. So I give you permission as uh, we continue on to actually be writing those things down. You can drop it off in the boxes afterwards or even I think next week we'll have them as well. But I wanna encourage you, actually participate in this series. So this morning, with the rest of our time, what we're going to be doing here is we're going to introduce ourselves to the book of Lamentations, all right? And we're going to do that by by not actually opening to Lamentations, but actually to opening to 2 Chronicles. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open to the book of 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 36. It's the very last chapter in uh, 2 Chronicles. And this is the the background to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, if you know, it is just a a poem. It is a prayer of lament, the whole thing. And so what we're doing right now is we're just gonna get the context. We're gonna get the background of why. Why are they lamenting? What has all gone on and what has led up to this point in time? So if you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to open, follow along with me. Second Chronicles chapter 36, we're gonna start in verse 11. Here is the word of God. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord uh, that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Well, that's as far as we're going to read this morning. This is the utter destruction of Jerusalem. There is nothing left at the end of this passage. The Babylonians came, they spared no one, they killed most people, and those that didn't die by the sword got dragged off into exile as slaves. See, this is the background to the book of Lamentations. It is the prophet Jeremiah who is lamenting as he watches all of these things unfold and as he is crying out to God because of what has happened. Jerusalem, right, the people of God are wiped off the map, carried off into Babylon. But perhaps more importantly than what exactly took place is the question of why. Why exactly do, uh, did God allow this to happen? Why did God do this? Well, we are jumping into really the end of the book of Chronicles, right? Chronicles are two books, and they follow the, the kings as they go through the nation of Israel. And really what we find is it starts off right with King David. King David is a good king. He is doing well. Land is prospering, but it doesn't take long until things go downhill. Right? In fact, it's David's grandson. When his grandson becomes king, he causes a civil war that breaks the nation apart into the north and the south. The north becomes known as Israel. The south becomes known as Judah. And actually, as you follow along in the history of what happens to these two different nations now, the north, it goes badly from the get-go. They have one bad king after another, after another, after another, until finally Assyria comes and destroys them. They are obliterated. The southern kingdom in Judah, they, they do a little bit better. They have some bad kings, but they also have some really good kings. The bad kings come and they ignore God, they ignore the prophets, they build in more and more idol temples, they, they lead the people into all this stuff. They're selfish, they're violent, they're all kinds of things. The good kings come in, they try and repair what was done. Right? They get rid of all the idols, they try and restore peace and, and, and try and follow after how God has called them to lead. But God continually warns these kings, if you don't follow after me, I, I will destroy you. In fact, if you continue to do this, there will be consequences for your sin. 
The last king that actually followed after God was a king by the name of Josiah. You can read about him in the previous chapter. But unfortunately, when he died, his sons took over and none of them would follow after God. His grandson is Zedekiah that we've just read about. In fact, we've read about him because he was the very last king. Not long before he took the throne, actually, Babylon had already come and visited them. Babylon had already come, conquered them, and made them into this slave state. Right? They, they were under the ownership of Babylon at that time, and so he is made the king. They're allowed to have some form of their own government, but they're paying massive tributes back to Babylon. And so what we are learning here throughout this whole history is just how serious sin actually is. Look back at verse 12 with me. It says, he did, Zedekiah, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Zedekiah was the last in a long line of kings who ignored prophets. Right? Jeremiah was known as a, as a nuisance to these kings. Right? Everyone saw, oh, Jeremiah's coming. Oh, I don't like that guy. He always has bad news. I don't want to listen to him. Hey, go away, Jeremiah. And finally, they, they just got fed up with him. They threw him in a well. They're like, all right, we're done with you. Into the well. No one help him. Right? After that didn't work, they threw him in prison. They just ignored him. They cut up his letters and literally burned them in front of him. They told him to his face, we will not follow what you are going to do. But the problem is Jeremiah wasn't just coming and giving his own take on the situation. He wasn't just kind of a, a guy who wanted to show up all the time. In fact, our text says he was speaking from the mouth of the Lord. This was not his opinions that were coming to the surface. This was God's word, and Zedekiah ignored it. Zedekiah wanted nothing to do with it. And so as we look at what caused this downfall, why did these things take place, the very first thing we are told is that it is because he ignored the word of God. And so if we can pause even now, and just consider what does this mean for us in this seriousness of sin. It's this, do not ignore God's word. The Bible that we actually have isn't just the words of a bunch of really smart people or some spiritual guys who had something to say. They're the words of God we ought to pay attention carefully. And actually say, do I actually follow what God has called me to do? Am I willing to be obedient to the word of God? Or am I just like Zedekiah trying to ignore him? Trying to say, hey, he's a killjoy and I don't want anything to do with it. The first sin that gets listed against this king is that he ignored God's word. Are we doing the same? We have Bibles in our homes. We can have it on our phones. We can have it with us 24-7, yet are we still ignoring it? Do we actually read it? Do we listen to it? Do we obey it? Are we taking the time to actually apply these things into our lives, or are we just liking having it on the shelf? It looks good on our coffee table. Are we actually putting these things into practice? Verse 13 he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. King Nebuchadnezzar is, is the king of Babylon. You probably remember his name from the book of Daniel, right? He's the king in Babylon, but he was actually a pretty smart guy. 
He's got this slave state that's going on in Judah. They've got their own king. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does, he says, okay, I want you to actually follow my rules, all right? I want you to make sure that you're paying these tributes and I want you to swear by your God, right? Don't, don't swear by Nebuchadnezzar's God. Zedekiah doesn't care about them. He's gonna swear by his own God, right? And yet we find out here he rebels. He rebels against Babylon. It's not a smart play. But this isn't actually a political statement. This is a statement about how Zedekiah views God, right? He swore by God, but he couldn't care less. He didn't actually care about what he had promised to God. No, he was going to just do his own thing. In fact, verse 13 continues, says, he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the officers and the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Zedekiah isn't the only one guilty here. He kind of gets brought up as the figurehead, but actually as we read, this is the priests who are doing the same. This is the people who are doing the same. All of them are actually following, not God, they are following all of these idols and they're worshiping them. If you read in the book of Ezekiel, he goes into detail about what they had all done. They had actually brought idols into the temple of God and were worshiping them there. Just think about that from God's perspective for, for just a moment. Think about what it would be like to have someone bring in idols into your own temple. It's a little bit like if you're married and your spouse brings a picture of their ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, and puts it on their nightstand. How utterly dishonored, how utterly unloved, how utterly hated would you feel by that very action? It's disgusting in so many ways, and yet that is exactly what God is saying is happening. In fact, that's almost a tame analogy. If you go to Ezekiel 16, he gets far more explicit with what their adultery looks like. But that's what our sin is before God. It is a betrayal of the one who made us, a slap in the face of the one who created us, who has provided all things for us. It's biting the hand that has fed us. I have a little dog, and, and she's great most of the time. But every once in a while, we, we'll give her, you know, a, a nice kind of treat or something like that, like a real raw bone. And she loves it. She'll, she'll immediately grab it, go run away and try and, you know, chew it in, in secret. And every once in a while, if I actually walk up to her while she's got that, she growls at me. She growls at me like, this is mine, and you're not going to take it. And it's always so funny to me because I'm the one who gave it to her. I just gave you this bone and now suddenly you're turning on me as if I would be the problem here. How often is that exactly what we do with God? God gives us something, God provides for us and yet we're growling back at him. Like everything we have isn't from his hands. And yet the amazing thing in this whole passage isn't just how we have acted, it's how God acts, isn't it? Look at verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. 
and on his dwelling place, despite the fact that they were continually ignoring God, despite the fact that they were continually sinning against him, God still had mercy towards them. God still had compassion and love to his people. He hadn't given up on them. He continually sent them messengers. In fact, if you remember last, uh, yeah, last week, we looked at Revelation 3, and this is exactly what we saw, right? God loves those whom he disciplines. He disciplines, he warns, he rebukes those whom he loves. And so God was sending them prophets. It's because that's who God is. When God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, this is what he says. It says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the chil- children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is merciful and loving, but he is also just. He doesn't let the wicked go away unpunished. In fact, he is going to be just in his judgments. And so God was sending his people prophet after prophet, messenger after messenger to warn them, turn back, turn back. But verse 16 says, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Sin has a consequence. There's a consequence to our sin. It's not just that we're going to hurt other people, though we probably will. It's not just that we're going to hurt ourselves, though we probably will. The consequence of sin is the wrath of God. We have sinned against him. In fact, that's a far more serious consequence. That's what the prophets were warning them about. It wasn't just that they had a bad society. It's that they had sinned against God. There was a choice between life and death. In fact, when Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, long before any of this had ever happened, this is what he said. He said, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. See, Moses knew the danger beforehand. There was a choice before the people of Israel. Who would they serve? Would they serve God or would they serve all of these other idols? And now Judah would face the consequence of that decision. But the truth is, you could say, hey, that's great for them, or too bad for them, actually. But that's not me. I don't live in Old Testament Israel. I'm not an Israelite. I'm all good. The truth is, actually, the same choice is put before us. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? See, the same choice is before us. Who will we serve? Who are we going to follow after? The consequence of sin is death. The consequence of obedience is eternal life with God. See, if there's one thing we can learn from this story, from just the background of this book of Lamentations, it is that sin is a serious matter. It's not something we should just sweep under the carpet and say, hey, it's okay, we're all human, we all mess up, don't worry about it. Actually, it ought to be a cause of mourning for us. It ought to be a cause that we look at our lives and we are distraught how we have ignored God's word, how we have mocked and despised what he called us to do. We should weep when we encounter sin because we know the consequence is the wrath of God. We should tremble that we have ever sinned against this God. We should lament our sin together. And see, here's where I want us to learn how to lament well. Where I want us to learn how to lament biblically because we could stop right now and we could just leave here and all be depressed and all be hopeless and, and meaningless. We've all sinned, we've all messed up, we're all under the wrath of God and I guess that's it but that's not what biblical lament looks like. So what does it look like to lament our sins? Let me put it this way. First of all, it means we see our sins the same way God does. We view our sin not just as a little mistake, but actually as the very reason why we are separated from God. The reason why we deal with the evil and suffering we do in this world, and that one day we will stand before God and we'll give an account to Him for everything we have done. See, sometimes we, we, we kind of trick ourselves and we say, you know what? If it was really that big a deal, God would have already dealt with me. I'm not seeing any lightning bolts, so I don't think it's actually that big a deal to God. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Are we just presuming on God's patience? presuming that simply because he's given us this chance, this moment to repent and turn back that it's not a big deal? Are we acting just like the nation of Israel, assuming that God will never act? See, instead we ought to look at that. We ought to look at this moment of patience and kindness and mercy towards us as the moment to repent, to turn back to him. Do not harden your heart against God. In fact, let us look to Jesus for our forgiveness. See, in 2 Chronicles it says there was no remedy. It's a terrifying moment there where the wrath of God is waiting and there was nothing to stop it. But the good news is that is not true for us. 
That is not our place. In fact, we have a remedy. It is Jesus Christ who came and who actually took the wrath of God in our place so that who any, anyone who would trust in him would be saved. We would not face that wrath. We actually have a remedy. His name is Jesus. We have Jesus who took the full wrath of God on, in, on our behalf. See, that is the hope, that is the remedy for everyone who would believe. If you are here today and you are bearing under that weight of sin, that guilt and that conviction, there is a remedy, it is Jesus Christ. This is the hope that cannot be removed, that will not let you down. Unlike the stage. (laughs) This is the hope in the midst of our mourning. This is what we have to cling to. It's the joy in the midst of the sorrow. It's that Jesus has come and he has dealt with our sin. That it is gone and no longer will we deal with it. But here's the truth. Right now, we sit in between. We sit in this tension point of Jesus having dealt with all of our sin, having taken the fullness of the wrath of God on himself, and that one day we will live with him eternally, that we will be free from sin, that all of it will be wiped away. But right now, we still deal with it. Right now we're sitting in that tension where we have been cleansed from our sin, yet we are still called back to it. We're still tempted by it. When Paul writes in Romans, he says, I find it to be almost a law that any time I try and do something good, evil is right there close at hand. And so here is where we should lament. Here is where we should look to God and say, oh, how I wish things were different. This is where we can be honest about our sorrow and our pain that we go through. Not as those who have no hope. No, we have a hope that is still coming, but we are still those who weep at the graveside, who mourn because of what was lost in our sin. So this morning as we close, we're going to do something just a little bit different than we normally do. So I'll invite up the worship team. They can come forward. And in just a second, I'm going to invite you guys to stand as well. What we're going to do together is end in a corporate lament. As as a body, we are going to be lamenting our, our sin together, right? We're going to bring honest sorrow with our sins before God and ask and trust for his help. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it's, it's not on the screen, But he says, for godly grief, godly sorrow, godly lament produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See, that is what we are looking for this season. We're not looking to dive into depression and hopelessness. We lament because it leads us to repentance which produces in us salvation without regret. That is the goal. We do not mourn as those who have no hope, but our hope is fixed in Jesus Christ, even as we lament and even as we mourn together. So would you stand with me and let's lament.
please respond in the places labeled all. We lament our comfort with sin and our indifference to its destruction, the pain it causes and the wedge it puts between us and you, O Lord. How long will we let its power hold us hostage and cause harm? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our lack of mourning over sin, how it hurts us, those we love and our neighbors. We know the path of sin leads to death and yet we remain apathetic. How long will we struggle to take the grief of sin seriously? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our passivity to fight the battle of sin. We let it overcome us and invite the enemy in daily. When, O Lord, will you return and set us free from the war that wages deep inside us? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us.